John chapter 1, verse 35 to 42. John's disciples follow Jesus. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, we are, we are, where, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and, I'll, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying. They spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who had what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, John, Simon, son of John, you will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. So if you were with us during the month of December, you'll remember that Christmas time, we spent time as a church looking at John chapter 1 and the theology of Christmas. What does it mean that God became human in the person of Jesus Christ? Now, as we've moved into the new year, what we're wanting to do is ask the question, what does it mean to live in light of Christmas? How do we take the truth of Christmas that God in Jesus came to save the world and be a people who now live in a city like London in light of that good news? That's the question we're asking for the next few weeks. Today, in the passage that you just heard read, we have the very first instance of any human beings following Jesus Christ. This is the first time anybody ever followed Jesus. And that phrase, following Jesus, another word we use for that is discipleship, or to be a disciple. A disciple is someone who follows Jesus in every part of their life for all their life. And so the question that I have for us today is simply this, what can we learn from this passage about discipleship? And if you're brand new to church, maybe this is the first time you've ever come to a worship service. Maybe you're not sure what you think about Christianity. This is a really important Sunday for you to be here because we're asking the most basic question, what does it mean to follow Jesus? And some of you have been going to church for a long time. You know all the songs, you know all the stories. Maybe today will be like a cup of cold water splashing in your face, waking us up from lukewarm connection to Jesus and actually saying, what does it really mean to be a disciple? What does it really mean to follow him? And that's what this passage can help us see. So let's look at this text under the following three headings today. First, where discipleship starts. Then second, what discipleship is. And then third, the invitation that Jesus gives. So where discipleship starts, what discipleship is, and an invitation that Jesus gives. Now, where does discipleship start? Here's the answer. Discipleship starts with discovering and being honest about your desires. Discipleship starts with discovering and being honest about what you want. 
what you long for, what you desire. Look with me again at the text, verse 38. Jesus asked these two people who start to follow him, what do you want? Now, interestingly, that question is the very first recorded words of Jesus in the gospel of John. The first thing Jesus says in this story is to two people who are following him, he looks at them and says, what do you guys want? What do you want? What do you desire? What are you looking for in life? Now, Jesus starts with want and desire because he knows, and you know, that what we desire most truly defines us. Jesus doesn't say to these would-be followers, what do you believe? He doesn't say to them even a question that we might ask, what do you do? He says, what do you want? What are you longing for? What is your heart craving? Because he knows it's not the knowledge in our heads or even the actions of our hands, but the cravings of our hearts that most reveal who we are. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23 puts it this way. Above all else, guard your heart because everything that you do flows from it. All we do flows out of the longings or the cravings of our heart, the things that we want. And so that's why Woody Allen very infamously said, the heart wants what it wants. You know, maybe, that having that extra scoop of ice cream is going to be bad for your cholesterol, but you have it anyway, because the heart wants what it wants. And so many of us do things in life that we know in our heads we should not, but we want them. And so we do them. And therefore, according to Jesus, the journey of discipleship starts with discovering and being honest about what you really want. Now, I've been sitting with this passage for months and thinking about it, working on it, and having it work on me. And you know what I've realized? It's actually really hard to answer the question, what do you want? Because to answer that question honestly requires a fair bit of introspection. You have to look down into your heart to see what's there. And most of us are terrified of looking down into our hearts to pause and to go slow and to be reflective and to see what's there and what we really long for in life. And so instead of pausing and doing that deep reflective work, we just move through life with as many distractions as we can. The next relationship, that next episode, the next thing, the next ladder on the career to climb. And our desires mostly remain unchecked. And all the while, Jesus' question of discipleship is hanging over us. What do you want? Like, what are you craving? What, what is the thing that you're looking for? Now, if, and I hope you will, maybe you're already starting... If you become willing to slow down, to stop, and to actually face the question, what do I want, and you start looking in your life, in your heart, things get even more complicated. Let me give you a few reasons why. When you begin to look at your desires, probably what you're going to find is that you have lots of different desires. Some of you want a spouse, and you also want Arsenal to win the Premier League. 
Some of you want your dad or mom or brother or sister to be healed of a chronic illness, and you also really want to go on vacation, (laughs) right? Some of us want to be really successful in our jobs, and we want less busyness in our schedule. We want lots of different things, and we want them with different degrees of intensity. Second, not just do we want lots of different things, but second, lots of our desires are in competition with each other. That within your own heart, you can want two things that to have both of them would be at odds with each other. So I really want this sermon to be good because I want you to experience more of the beauty of Jesus than you ever have. And I want this sermon to be good so that you think I'm a good preacher. And so you want to keep coming to our church. Those desires are real within me and they're kind of at odds. Some of you want to have a really healthy, fit lifestyle. And you think that by being healthy and fit, maybe that'll increase your chances of attracting a romantic interest. You have that desire and you also want a little bit more cake and pudding because who doesn't? And so we have these desires and they're competitive, they're contradictory. If you're a parent, you know this all too well. If you're a parent, especially with young kids, you want to be present with that child. You want to nurture them. You want to love them. You want to help them grow. And at the same time, you want them to leave you alone. You want more free time. You want to pursue your own hobbies and passions. You want to have a self. Sometimes those desires can feel competitive. And so this is one of the challenges, by the way, of modern culture. Have you ever heard some version of modern culture, movies, books, people at work, Twitter telling you, be true to yourself, find yourself. No one should tell you who you are or how to live. But can you see the problem with that advice? Be true to yourself. Which self? Because when I look in my heart, I find all kinds of competitive and contradictory desires. Which is the real one? Culture says find yourself, but it doesn't give us the tools to find the selves that we're supposed to be. Third thing I want to say about desire is simply this. Sometimes your strongest desires are not your deepest desires. Sometimes your strongest desires are not your deepest desires. John Mark Comer, in his recent book, put it this way. Our deepest desires, usually to become people of goodness and love, are often sabotaged by the stronger and surface level desires of our flesh. Give you an example. Maybe you can relate. Some of you want to live a life in communion with God. You want to have a rich prayer life. You want to get into scripture. And so you know that part of the way you're going to do that is by waking up early in the morning to read your Bible and pray before you start your day. Now that's your deeper desire. I want to spend time with God before I go out into the city. And then 6 a.m. comes along and your alarm goes off and you hit the snooze button. And before you know it, you're running out of the house flat and you've not even thought about God. What's happened? The deeper, truer desire, communion with God, Life in his presence has been overwhelmed by a stronger desire for a little bit more sleep. 
And our life is often filled with that tension. We have deeper desires, but they're often overwhelmed by the stronger ones. Some of you want the commitment and the safety of a long-term, exclusive, romantic relationship in marriage. But sometimes the stronger desire is for the fleeting pleasure of sex, however and with whomever we want. You see, we have strong desires for good things. And sometimes those strong desires for good things are overwhelmed, or excuse me, deep desires for good things. But in the moment, our flesh wants something so much that we give into that stronger desire in the moment. This is the complexity of our life in desire. But what Jesus is exposing here at the beginning as he faces these people following him, not that they might have understood all of what I've just said in that question, but he says to them, what do you want? Like look in your heart and answer the question, what are you craving? What is the deep longing of your soul? Jesus starts the journey of discipleship by inviting them to consider and to discover and be honest about their desire. And at some level, he says to each of you today, what do you want? Now, point two of our sermon, if that's where discipleship starts, point two becomes this, what is discipleship? Like what then is a person who is following Jesus? And here's the answer. A disciple is someone who wants or desires Jesus more than anything. Discipleship is not fundamentally knowing X amount of Christian doctrine, nor is it even X amount of Christian service. A disciple is someone who longs for and wants Jesus more than anything. Verse 38, again, Jesus asked the most important question, what do you want? And What's interesting is that Jesus does ask that question a few times in the Gospels. And you know what answer he mostly gets from people? What the Bible reveals is that many of us, when we follow Jesus, we want something from him. We want healing. We want a spouse. We want teaching or wisdom about how to answer life's biggest questions. Even in the first century, lots of people wanted Jesus as a Messiah Because they thought that he would overthrow the political oppression that was hanging over Israel and bring political freedom. So they wanted a military and a political king to save them. So in other words, lots of people, when Jesus says, what do you want? They say, I want something. I want you to help me get something. And by the way, it's not bad to want things from God. We are told to pray for our daily bread which means we're supposed to come to God and say, give me this, I need that, please provide this. We should. But the problem for most of us is that we've made those things our ultimate quest. And so we want to use those things to get, uh, sorry, we want to use God to get those things. And you realize that if that's your approach to following God, then what God has become to you is useful. If God is the means by which you get a job or a spouse or healing or a career or fill in the blank, then he is simply useful. But what I'm proposing to you today is that the art, the essence of real discipleship is finding God not just useful, but beautiful. Where he's an end in himself. Where what you want is just him. 
And that's what this text tells us. Come back to me. Uh, come back with me. Verse 38. Jesus says, what do you want? And these two disciples, I'm not even sure they realized exactly what was happening. I think this was part of God's providence. But in verse 38, when Jesus says, what do you want? Look at how they respond. They ask him a question. It's bold. It's gutsy. Jesus says, what do you want? And they say to him, teacher, where are you staying? To which Jesus says, come and you will see. Now, I don't often do this because our English translations of the Bible are very good. But occasionally there's a moment when you're reading scripture where knowing something about the Greek helps you. And so today's one of those days. When the disciples say to Jesus, where are you staying? On the surface, it could seem like they're asking him, like, where are you sleeping tonight? Like, where are you camped out? But that's not what's happening. And the reason we know that is because of the Greek word that John, the author, uses for staying. The Greek word is meno, and it can more accurately translated by the word abiding. They're saying to Jesus, where are you abiding? And if you know anything about the gospel of John, you know that the word abiding is an incredibly important word. Because when Jesus gets to chapter 15 of this same gospel, and he's teaching about the essence of the Christian life, the essence of following him, Jesus says, abide in me, and I will abide in you. Let me read to you a little bit from John 15. Every time you hear the word abide, it's the same as when the disciples say, where are you staying? Where are you abiding? So John 15, Jesus says, abide in me and I also will abide in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must abide in me. Neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me and I abide in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You see, what is the heart of Christian life? What's the essence of discipleship? It's abiding in Jesus. It's not just knowing stuff about him. It's not just doing stuff for him. It's just being with him. It's just being with him. So when you come back to John chapter one and Jesus says, what do you want? The disciples are saying, you, like, where are you staying? Because that's the only place in the world that we want to be. Like, what are you teaching? That's what we want to learn. Where are you going? That's where we want to go. What are you doing? Like, what are the people that are you drawn to? Because we want to go with you there. All we want, they're saying, is to be with you. Wherever that is, whatever that means, whatever it costs. Where are you staying? Abiding is the essence of spiritual life. It's the heart, it's the whole thing. And you see this actually time and time again throughout the Bible. This isn't just a phenomenon that you see in Jesus's ministry, but all the way back to the very beginning. The reason God created humanity is to abide in him, to live in communion with him. One of my favorite stories about this is Moses in the book of Exodus. Some of you know the story of Moses. He had a, a remarkable life. 
He was growing up in the courts of the king and the palace of Pharaoh. Richness and decadence that we can only dream about. Then God dramatically calls him to lead his people out of Egypt. And there's miracles and signs and wonders and stuff that we would love to see in terms of God's power at work in the world. And so here is Moses and he's getting to the end of his life and he's seen God do all kinds of miracles. He's seen richness and glory and splendor that surpasses anything we can imagine. And at the end of Moses' life, do you know what he wants more than anything? He says to God in Exodus 33, show me your glory. Moses saw a lot of really cool things and his soul wasn't satisfied. And he knew it's not the stuff that God does. It's not even the stuff that God gives. It's God himself that satisfies the longing heart. And so he cries out to God, I've seen you do miracles. I've seen banquets set for kings. I've seen you speak from the clouds. But I just need more of your glory. I just need your presence. And friends, that's true for you. That's true for me. Jesus, where are you staying? Where are you abiding? Because wherever you are, that's where I want to be. So that's the essence of real discipleship. Wanting or longing for Jesus more than anything else in the world. So that leads now to the invitation. These disciples say to Jesus, where are you staying? Where are you abiding? We want to be with you. And look at what Jesus says, verse 39. Come and see. You want to abide with me? The door is open. Come and see. And what's beautiful about this passage is those disciples did come and stay with Jesus and they never left. And they followed him all the way to the very end. But here's my question. It's easy for us to look at them and say, well, Jesus was there. They literally went to where he was and they stayed with him. But what does come and see mean for you and I today? We don't have the physical presence of Jesus with us. So what does coming and seeing and abiding in Jesus look like today? Two things. First, today's invitation is for you to bring all of your confused and complicated desires to Jesus. Some of you, when you look at your life, you see all kinds of desires, some that you're proud of, some that you're ashamed of, some that feel so strong you can never shake them. And today the invitation is bring all of that, like all of it, to Jesus. Don't try to sort it out. Don't try to refine your desires and get them in God-pleasing shape. Because you never will. Just bring your whole, full, complicated self to Jesus. And say, I surrender. There's a great story in Mark chapter 9. There was a father, he had a son. And his son was very ill, very sick, demon-possessed, actually. And this father wants more than anything, his desire, he's longing for his son to be healed. So he comes to Jesus. He actually comes to the disciples first, and they couldn't do anything. So he comes to Jesus, and you can see he's in a state. He's heartbroken and devastated. And Jesus effectively says to him, what do you want? And the father wants his son to be healed. And so the father says to Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. He's saying it's complicated. 
I want you to heal him. I know that you can, but part of me doesn't know. Part of me isn't sure. Part of me isn't convinced. And there's this competitive desire and want and longing in this father's heart. And do you know what Jesus doesn't say to this father with complicated, confused desire? Jesus doesn't say to him, okay, that's fine, but go read your Bible. And when you figure it all out, you come back to me and I'll take care of your problem. He doesn't. He just meets this man in his confession, I believe, help my unbelief. And he moves towards him with healing and grace. Bring your whole self to Jesus today and surrender. Whatever is there, the good things that you want, the bad things that you want, the stuff that you're not even sure if it's good or bad, bring it all to him and he'll sort it out. There's an old hymn that says this, let not conscience make you linger, nor of fitness fondly dream, because all the fitness he requires is for you to feel your need of him. Come ye weary, heavy laden, lost and ruined by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. Come today. Come right now. And the second invitation, bring your whole self, confused, complicated self, all of it. But the second invitation for us today is simply this. Realize that Jesus is the thing, the one, the everything that you've been most craving all along. What you want in all your other wants is actually found in him. Everything you think you want, if it's good, if it's true, if it's beautiful, it's pointing you to him. He's the one that we most desperately want. We see it in the passage. After one of these men starts following Jesus, Simon, or excuse me, Andrew, he goes and finds his brother, Simon, whom we know to be Peter. And he says to him there in verse 41, we have found the Messiah. Now, in the first century, everyone was looking for the Messiah. Everyone wanted the Messiah. I alluded to this earlier. This was how we were going to be saved from the oppression of Rome. This is how peace and prosperity were going to come. Everybody, every day was longing for the Messiah to come and fix the world. So when Andrew finds Peter and says, we have found the Messiah... Andrew isn't saying, hey, let me make an abstract theological statement about the identity of this man called Jesus. What he's saying simply is, Peter, you know the one that we've been looking for our entire life? I found him. Come with me. Let's go together and see him. Like the one that you've spent every day of your life searching after, he's here. And what we get a glimpse of in this passage is what's true for the heart of any person. The thing that you want more than anything else is found in Jesus. And to the degree that you can realize that even the good things you want are actually just pointers, but he's the substance. That's how you become a disciple. You say everything I want anyway is found in him. So yeah, I'm going to keep wanting good stuff in the world. Sure. But I know that they all point me to him. As Rebecca Pippert said in her great book, the narrative lines of your life can only find a happy ending in Jesus. That's what they realized. We found him. And to the degree that you realize that is to the degree that you're going to say, I want to abide with you. Wherever you are, 
whatever you're doing, wherever you're going, that's where I want to be. Some of us really want a spouse and family. Jesus is the true and better spouse. Some of us really want to feel accepted like we belong. And Jesus is your approval, your ultimate acceptance. Some of you really want peace and security, maybe even financial security in your future. The Bible says he's our rock, the only one that we can actually completely depend on. Our bodies want fleeting pleasures that don't always truly satisfy, but he's living water that can quench your deepest thirst. He is the thing. He's the one. And we know that because not only did Jesus give the teaching and say that he was, but ultimately he goes to the cross and he dies in your place. And on the cross, Jesus says, I see you to the bottom. I love you to the sky. You're fully known and fully loved. And then he defeats death and says to you, your future can be safe. There's a banquet waiting for you. All the things that your heart most desperately craves are ultimately going to be found in that wedding feast with Jesus. If he died for you, if he rose again and defeated death on your behalf, he's the one that you want. And the essence of discipleship today is to say, I bring all of myself to you, confused and complicated as it is, and I surrender it all. And I say, if more of you means less of me, then take it all. Let's pray for that now as we come to this time of response. Our God, please help us today to not just have some teaching and to be informed, but to be transformed into people who want and desire Jesus more than anything. To abide in him as the great passion of our life. So Father, do that right now. Draw us close to you. Help Jesus to be the one that we truly want. And then help us to live in this world as people who can relate to everything, everyone, in a more healthy way. Because Jesus is our rock, our Savior, our friend, and our King. We pray all this together in Jesus' name. Amen.